Welcome to Gardening Talk back on to you and you are FM 103.7. Greg Richard here, joined by Scott Sharp. Scott, how are you? I'm very well, very well. Looking looking dapper today as well? Oh, well, thank you. It's a beautiful day outside, a beautiful weekend. Beautiful weekend. Very warm, though. It is. The plants are going to be confused. We've got Jennifer from Cessnock. She's got these capsicum, and she says, this is my first time, and wow, they just keep on giving. Little smiley face she's given us there. And I'll tell you what, they do look fantastic, the plants she's growing. She's got them in a raised sort of garden bed, which uh, looks structurally pretty... It looks good. Yeah, yeah, Greg was commenting before of his engineering background, saying how good it looked. My engineering yeah. background. <laughs> but her question is, she says, I haven't sprayed, but all four plants are covered in ants. Oh. This seems fine, and they keep on giving. Is it normal? Well, it's probably not great that they're covered in ants because the ants are coming up there to feed off something, and that can often be scale, uh, those little sort of bumps or pimples you get on the plant. That's actually oh, a little right. insect, and they put out a residue that the ants like, and they come and feed off that. Now, look, they also could just be coming up to... Um, Is that good, though, if the ants are eating it? No, well, they could just be coming up to, you know, get to the flowers. But judging by the pictures, there's not really any flowers left on there anymore. So I would be inclined to think that at this point in time, there could be some scale forming on the plant. And that will start to uh, make the plant a little bit sick, Jennifer. So you just have to uh, get out and treat that. Now, you can just use a pyrethrum spray if you want to. Uh, the other thing you could do is mix it up in a watering can and actually drench it into the soil to try and get rid of any ants that right. might be living down there in their little nests. I know it's cruel, but... Burrowing underneath. Yes. Uh, the other thing that ants do if they're burrowing underneath is that they uh, make the soil, I guess, essentially hydrophobic. The little nesty things go down into there and the water just runs away. It doesn't actually uh, stay in the soil very well. So, look, yes, Jennifer, I would be treating uh, and getting rid of those ants in case it's scale or just to make the soil a little bit happier. Now, her second question is, it's a two-parter here. Two parts. Yeah, with parts A, B, and C as well included. So here we go. Uh, When do they change colour? Do they need more sun? I've nursed them through the heat. That's a statement. Uh, One half changed to yellow, then went soft. Uh, One on their now changing yellow, fingers crossed. So, uh, yes, um, Jennifer, look, capsicum do like to be in the full sun. It helps them uh, ripen as best. So it looks like you've got it in the right place. Uh, Now... As uh, Greg and I were talking off air, as we were admiring your pictures, mm. uh, you can get different coloured capsicum. Exactly. You've got your reds, your yellows. Yep. Your greens. greens. Yep. That's all I know. Yeah. And look, uh, green sometimes uh, looks, looks like that you've got a green one and you've probably let it over ripen by going far too yellow and mushy. Right. So I reckon those beautiful looking green ones that are uh, there in the pictures are ready uh, to be picked pretty soon, and probably the yellow one as well, see if it's okay. Okay. Yeah. Because if they were a yellow one, you'd probably find they'd uh, yellow up a whole lot quicker than... Because you don't want mushy ones, you want them nice and crisp. You do want them nice and crisp for the salad, uh, yeah. for the, uh, for the, the what do you like, the kebab thing when you put them on the, the skewers? Oh, yeah, okay. yeah a yeah. shawarma. Yeah, that's okay, that's them, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I think you're doing, uh, you're doing pretty well there. Uh, just bear in mind, Jennifer, that it's uh, not going to really fruit too much as it goes through winter. It might even lose a few leaves. But don't despair because capsicum are one of those plants, even though they look a little bit ugly uh, through winter, they will keep on going for you for probably about three or four years. Excellent. Uh, yeah, so uh, unlike tomatoes, you don't pull them out. You just uh, leave them be and uh, give them a little bit of a prune back and uh, next year you should do very well. So thank you very much for your picks and your email, Jennifer from Cessnock. I hope we've answered your questions. Great. It's been a group effort. It has been a group effort. <laughs> it has. Capsicum are very similar to the chilli plant as well though, isn't it? They are, the they same, are. So same family. Yeah, look, I, I guess you can cut up your chilli and put them in the, in the uh, salad, but it makes it a little bit too hot for my taste. Oh, okay. Yes. 
It gives you a bit of zing, though, doesn't it? Yes, that's why you've got the yogurt on the side. <laughs> and we've got Roger from Aberglassen, and he's got a question about dwarf citrus, citrus trees. <laughs> Roger, how can we help you? I've got, yes, I've got in pots a dwarf lemon and orange trees. Yes. They're, they're very healthy, a lot of new growth on them. Good news. And the leaves are just, something's eating, not eating them, but turning them. It's just not the young leaf, but the older ones too. The, the leaves are starting to close together. Oh, right. Okay. So that, that's often what we call leaf curl. Yeah, and so if you have a look in underneath the uh, leaf, you might notice the uh, the track of a little uh, sort of weevil going through there. Have you noticed that on there before? No, uh, I, I pulled the leaves off and I mm-hmm. can't see anything in there. Just that there is something's, yeah, sort of eating them a bit, yeah. Yep, okay. So look, they, they can get citrus leaf miner. That usually only attacks the new growth, but if it's already been on the new growth, then... Uh, those leaves, because their damage will curl up like that, but to, you usually see little tracks going through there. Uh, look, there is another t- uh, mite that uh, citrus trees can get uh, that makes them curl up like that. Now, look, th- the only way to sort of cure that is to use a product called Eco Oil, and that's actually a little uh, uh, miticide that. Uh, that won't uh, harm the plant in any way, uh, and you can actually eat the uh, uh, the fruit as well on it. it. There's no withholding period with that miticide. And look, the trouble is, once the the uh, leaves are damaged like that, it won't sort of repair. Uh, but any uh, other growth on there, the uh, it will the uh, eco oil will actually protect for you. Oh, thank you, thank you, Scott. That's all right, mate. So, the, yeah, the product you need is eco oil. It's a, a very good one to have. It'll actually keep the citrus leaf miner under control as well for you, and it'll keep those mites uh, under control as well, mate. It sort of just smothers them. Uh, but, yeah, very good product, eco oil. Secondly, do you, do you know anything that'll get rid of Mondo grass except a garden fork? Yeah, look, that that's a difficult one because the root system does just keep on spreading out under the ground. Uh, look, if it's by itself, you can just use, you know, glyphosate or Roundup or one of those products. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But if it's, unfortunately, you know, sort of mixed in with the uh, other plants or in some grass or something, you really can't use that. Uh, because remember, with glyphosate, anything you touch, uh, it will damage it, uh, will kill it. Yeah. So you just have to be very careful. That's not to say you can't get in there, um, you know, very carefully with a spray or yeah. with a paintbrush and, and apply it. But, uh, yeah, Mondo yeah. grass, you can really only get rid of it that way. All right. Thank you very kindly. Have a lovely day. Okay, and you have a good afternoon too, Roger. Thanks for that. Good one. Bye. Okay. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers. Thanks, Roger. It's Guarding Talk back on 2 and URFM. If you've got a question for Scott Sharp, you can give us a call on 49216216. Now, Scott, you mentioned something about vineyards a little bit earlier. Yes. Uh, Heading I, to the Mediterranean. Yes, off to the Mediterranean, towards the Aegean Sea Ooh, in the, particular, yes. Right. Yes, I only found out about this uh, last week. I was, became very interested in it very quickly. Okay. Okay, so there's grapevines on Santorini. Yes. But Santorini is a very, very different place. It's not like the Hunter Valley or, uh, you know, down Adelaide, you know, any grape-growing regions or France or anything because it's yep. largely a, a volcanic island. Okay. Yeah, so the way the... Um, it's, it's it's quite detailed here, so I'll, I'll just start. We might yep. even break this up into a couple of segments if you want to. Uh, but it's really interesting the way they're grown 
uh, the oh, way yeah. they get water and the type of soil that they're growing in. So we can split this into three segments if we actually want to. If we need to. If we need to. I'm assuming it's volcanic soil. Yes. So the explosion around 1600 BC left this mixture of volcanic ash, pumice stone and solidified you know, lava and sand. That yep. That's what mostly the soil of Santorini is. So it's very poor in quality. Um, so there's really no organic matter there for the plants to sort of you know get in and, and suck in, but it does have essential minerals uh, except potassium. Uh, and the other thing that this uh, sort of larvary volcanic soil does is it creates a natural immunity to fungal diseases. So okay. even it's an island in the middle of the Aegean, you know, a very sort of humid place. The soils have this natural weird immunity because of how they're formed. Right. So they can actually grow grapes there. The other thing that happens is that, you know, this this particular soil gives the grapes a really, really beautiful taste as well. So a really unusual taste that's, uh, you know, only only from that particular island. Yep. Uh, so, yes, it has been very difficult. They only get about 400 mils of rain per year. And, of course, that just goes straight down through the rock and the soil and just drains away. So the way that the vines get their water is that there's a sea mist that comes in every night. Okay, right. And, and sort of settles on the plants and on the ground. And that is actually absorbed in through the pumice stone and the volcanic rock. And that's how these plants get their moisture. It doesn't rain very much, only a very small amount. And they, it's a mist. It's sort of a mist, yeah, this yeah. sea mist that just envelops the island. And it also gives the, the grapes a sort of a very sort of, you know, salty taste as well, apparently. Right. So I, I want to go there and have a look at these things and taste the wine as well. Right. So taste the grapes and taste the wine. Yes. We've got another mailbag. So it's just happened so quickly. It's The gates are flooding open. They are, they are. And it's Sonia, I believe. Yes, this one didn't come with a stamp, but it came by email, so it's, it's very exciting. <laughs> Uh, Sonia's written in. She's got some uh, magnolia little gems beside her pool, uh, looking like they're a screen for the next-door neighbours so they can swim in private. Yep. Um, but unfortunately, it uh, looks like one of them is a little bit cactusy. Oh. That's probably my way of describing it. Uh, magnolia little gems uh, the, are a plant that gets about three to four metres tall, green glossy leaf, bronze underside, and a big white magnolia type ground of flora flower so a very very good plant they will withstand salt and wind uh, and they're very good for pruning as well so they do actually make a good hedge so they are doing it in the right way now it sounds like though uh, Sonia has had her plant in a pot it looks like all four or five of them are in pots and uh, they wrote to me actually uh, this is the magic of email as well back yep. in uh, February and it looked like that the uh, the plant actually was the pot was retaining water so they tipped it on its side drilled some holes in it and uh, heaps of you know sort of horrid water came yep. out the bottom we, we, Ugh, yes yep. uh, and she's wondering why the plant still isn't uh, improving uh, looks Sonia unfortunately judging by your photos this plant Pretty much looks terminal. I'm now showing it to Greg for this audio-visual display. It uh, looks pretty terminal. I would be... It doesn't look great. No, it doesn't look great at all. That's the layman's. <laughs> <laughs> I would be inclined, Sonia, probably to start again. When a plant has been waterlogged for that length of time, uh, it, chances are it's not going to be very, very happy at all. Uh, the other thing you could do just to make sure that the plant is not you know, trying its best is to get some secateurs, start up the top and start pruning down. Uh, until you get to some green, uh, you know, branches right, yep. where the sap's still running, and if you're, you know, pruning down and pruning down and pruning down, and eventually you're, you know, like just above the soil level, yep. 
No, it's too late for that plant. <laughs> Unfortunately, so Sonia, uh, not good news there, but I would do the old secateur trick, uh, see if there's still some green growth in there. If so, uh, just water as normal and uh, wait for it to come back. Um, but if you can't find any green growth and it's all just dead and, and sticky, uh, then I think it's time just to go out and purchase another one and uh, try again. Good. Right, yeah. But they certainly will, as as you can see, Sonia, in your photos, they, they will grow um, quite well in the area you've got them, and they will do okay in pots, uh, but it might be that that one's just gone terminal for you, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. I might do that snip test this afternoon as well on one of my plants. Okay. It's all dead, but I might have to start cutting down from the bottom. What sort of plant? It's a chili plant. It's a chili plant, okay. Yep. Yeah, one of the three. Okay. It's... I, think, I always think it'll come back, but okay. it hasn't so far. Get the, uh, the, uh, the paddles onto it and see if you can give it the ka-ching yeah, and, and bring it back to life. Bring it back. Yeah. It's a gardening talk back on 2NURFM. Thank you for your email. And we've got Sue from Waiyu Point, and she's got a question about the Japanese hedge box. Hey, Sue, how can we help you? Oh, hello, Scott. Thank you for taking my call. I've put in a um, just small um, box hedge, to, yeah. uh, box plants, to make a, a, a little hedge. It's on my south side of my house, and then I've got a, a bird bath at the front. They, they seem to be going okay, and then all of a sudden they didn't seem to be sprouting new shoots, and a, a, quite a few of them are turning um, a, a yellow colour. And I was just a little bit worried about them. Okay, now I'm just going to do my uh, geography here. South side of the house, that means they're only they're in a shady position? No, they're getting sun. Right, okay. Oh, my... Sorry, 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 my mistake. It's north side. Ah, perfect. Okay, sorry, so north, my... they're north facing. I was about to give my geography teacher a, <laughs> a fail <laughs> for all those sorry. years ago. Yes, yes, it's uh, north. So, north. So, look, yes, you do need them in, to be in the full sun. They will withstand uh, some shade. Uh, as to why they're turning yellow, uh, look, they can get a little mite in them. Uh, so, again, I would go grab some uh, eco oil, which is a miticide, oh, yes. a, a natural um, preventative. Yeah, so, I've used that before. Okay, so if you've got some, just give that a general spray. Okay. Uh, look, the other thing box hedge can get uh, is they can actually get a fungal disease through them. It sounds like yours are only young, though. Yes, they were only young. They're probably, they wouldn't even be in. I put them in about... Or late last year, okay. so they're maybe six months old. Okay. Look, the, the fungal disease usually only gets into you know older plants and ones where they're mm. you know they're actually far more dense, and you know the wind and, and the breeze just can't get through there and keep it nice mm. and dry. Uh, but yeah. look, just to tick that one off, it might be also a good idea to go and grab a, uh, a fungicide as well. Uh, you mm-hmm. can get uh, you know one of the copper sprays, and uh, the easy, you can just either spray that on, or you can mix it up in the watering can as well if you want to, and just water it over the hedge. Okay. Uh, and that'll. I just all... ask for a copper spray. Do yeah, I? Yeah, copper uh, fungal spray. They'll be able okay. to help you out with that. And uh, when you're, uh, you, if you use the watering can method, it actually uh, goes into the soil as well and kills any fungal spores that might okay. be in there. I was a little bit worried that perhaps I might have been overwatering because it's in the middle of our lawn. Mm-hmm. So once the lawn gets mowed, we then can put a sprinkler system on. And I thought, oh, have I been, you know, has it perhaps been getting a little bit too much water? Uh, look, look, probably not, although they will tolerate very dry conditions. But if they're out in that full sun area, I, I wouldn't yeah. think that that's the problem. I, I would uh, try that uh, eco oil first. Eco. Oh, excellent. Yeah, and then yeah. And get some fungicide. Uh, but look, uh, you know, watering for a young plant like that is usually not an issue because their root system isn't, uh, you know, spread out enough uh, and mm-hmm. they, they do actually require quite a bit of water to get going. So uh, 
uh, look, I will try those two, uh, those okay, two ticker boxes first. Okay. Oh, wonderful. Thanks, Scott. Not a worry. Thanks for that, Sue. That's okay. Bye. 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 Cheers. Thanks, Sue. We've got Dennis now from Belmont, and he needs advice about... He's got ants all over his passion fruit. Okay. Okay. Dennis, how can we help, mate? There's Dennis. I've got a, a blue passion fruit, it's called. Yeah. Um, like the flowers are blue. Yes. Um, and... As the first lady, I've got ants all over it, and they are pre-opening of the flower. The ants seem to be congregating from the stem to where it connects to the flower bud. Mm-hmm. And when you run your fingers around that, you get the ants start, you know, popping out everywhere. Some of them are black, yes, little little ants, and some of them are the little. Honey ants or yellow. Yep, yep. Um, and like, the, so the flower hasn't opened yet, but it doesn't get to. The flowers are dropping off. Um, I've got some fruit on it, but you know, it's just covered in these ants. I can't see any um, anything that would attract them: scale or yeah, early yeah. bugs or anything like that. Um, what yeah. do you reckon, mate? Look, because that's why ants usually come up into plants. So they will also come up yeah. for the nectar of flowers. I, I don't know if they're sort of you know getting in line early before the flowers open up, but that sounds a little <laughs> bit far-fetched because it's only when that they open up that they sense the nectar uh, is up there. Look, what I, I would do, I would spray. I'd get a pyrethrum spray and just uh, give the whole plant a, a really good spray. Also drench the soil in underneath. Uh, you know, we don't like killing the little guys, but um, you know, if they're damaging the plant like that, uh, that's probably the best thing to do. It's not as if ants, though, when they're up on the plant, they're not sucking the sap out of it or doing any damage like that. It's just more, uh, you know, the diseases that they can bring up um, from the soil uh, yep. on their little feet. Yeah, and and usually they're actually a very good uh, sort of talisman uh, for the scale insect being there. So if you're seeing ants around, that means the scale insects on there uh, might not be in your case, could be as well. You know, the scale can take all sorts of different colours. Uh, it doesn't always have to be the black scale. You can get really sort of crafty uh, green scale that just blends in so well. Uh, very difficult uh, to see. Oh, well, it has to be something like that for that many years. Um and there's only, you know, half a dozen um, pieces of fruit on it. Yeah. Um, and it's a, a big bush. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've never seen a blue one before. I just got given the seed and put it in earlier this year. Okay. And at this time of the year, and it's flowering and... <laughs> And well, it's over the fence, so the next door neighbours, he's laughing. He's got more fruit than I have. Uh, he might be on the right side of the fence because it'll be where the most sun is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Look, yeah. The, the other thing is, even though that fruit's looking like it's going to set and there's flower on there now, I mean, we're sort of halfway-ish through April. Yeah. And yeah. what we often find um, here, Greg and I, we get you know callers in the middle of the year going, oh, my passion fruit isn't ripening. And once you start setting flower at, at this time of year, it's not going to ripen. Uh, no. Because it's just, even though it's hot out there today, it's just not hot enough as we go in through autumn and winter. Oh, yeah, it's so, cold so, in the mornings now. Yeah, so look, the, the plants do get tricked. Uh, you know, you get a hot spell like today and they think, oh, time to flower again. It must be summer or spring. Uh, but then what happens is all that energy goes into the, the fruiting and flowering of the plant rather than into the growth of it. So if that yep. is happening, uh, you're starting to get more flower on there, you might as well pick it off at this time of year anyway because it's not going to, to uh, you know, ripen up for you. Yep. And actually, I've got a lot of little ones coming because I only got two fruit, mm. pieces of fruit off at last, 
last year, and I, I must have thrown them onto the garden or the compost heap or something. Oh, so okay. I didn't think the fruit would be any decent, you and know, you're... having seeds in there. Yeah, um, so you've got some baby so... ones coming on as well, have you? Oh, yeah, they're everywhere. Oh, great. Okay, that's good news. Uh, yeah, well... <laughs> I'll have to pull them all out now and <laughs> cut the vine back a bit. Yeah, that, that's look, and that's a good idea to do that at this time. If you at, at least if you're not going to cut it back, just uh, make sure you pick off some of that uh, uh, those flowers and just give the give the vine a rest, I guess, over winter. Yep. So, what did you say to spray it with again? Sorry. Uh, yeah, look, I, I think if you just use a pyrethrum spray, it's just oh, a, it's right, just yeah. a natural insecticide, and it should get rid of the ants, and you can drench it through the soil as well. That's good. Okay. Right, thanks very much. Good on, Dennis. Have a nice afternoon, mate. Uh, Yourself, mate. Okay, bye. bye. Cheers, Dennis. We've got Ken now from Bulwara Heights, and he needs advice about getting rid of toadstools out of his lawn. Ooh, it's almost like we need witches and warlocks to do that sort of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, g'day, Ken. What's happening? Uh, good afternoon, Scott. The last couple of months, I've been getting an infestation of toadstools coming up in a, a about a four square meter area in my in my lawn. Yes. Um, I keep digging them out and I've, I've sprayed the, the lawn and the garden around where they've been coming up with a mango zeb uh, fungicide. Yes. Uh, I've cut the, I cut the lawn right back pretty, uh, give it uh, a good uh, haircut uh, to see if I could get rid of them. But uh, and I, and they're coming up either in single, single ones or in clusters of about four or five. Yeah. And they just, I don't know what else to do to get rid of them. Yeah, look, what you're doing is about all you can do, uh, use a fungicide. I wouldn't be, you know, sort of giving them a cut with a mower or anything like that because what happens then is you hit the the, uh, the fungal spores just go everywhere when oh, you hit no, the toadstool. I've, I've been digging them out, oh, before, digging them out yeah. before I actually cut the grass. Okay. So I, I'd keep on using your fungicide, mix it up in the watering can and drench it into the soil in that area. And yeah, I've been spray, putting, doing it with a spray. Yeah, I'd use it as a drench and probably do it in a, in a wider area as well because yeah, those spores yeah. will be in the ground and we want to try and yeah. get rid of them. So unfortunately, this is going to be persistence. What, what, what actually causes it? The, 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 I've had the lawn uh, uh, down for about two and a half years yeah. and everything's been going well. And uh, back, uh, the lawn was good up until uh, late November and then we got all the hot weather. Yes. I kept them watering it. Uh, and I've got a couple of uh, dead spots, a couple of par- parts of the uh, the sewalded buffalo started to die off. And uh, I, I covered it with some um, topsoil, uh, but it, it just died. And I've tried to you know, get all the uh, dead grass out and, and cover it again, but it, it's, it's just not uh, doing anything. And, and all of a sudden, I've been getting all these um, toadstools. Yeah, look, they're, they're probably they're just opportunistic. They've just come along, you know, in the wind and uh, landed there. Yeah. Uh, so nothing really uh, you can do or have done to create that problem. Uh, the best you can do now is use that fungicide to try and control it. As far as getting your grass to grow, uh, just keep on watering that area and uh, try and poach some runners from elsewhere and see if you can get, uh, you know, see if you can get it to spread back out again. Yeah. I've been I've been getting all that dead thatch out and uh, trying to encourage it. And have been watering it, but the more I water it, the more the mushrooms grow as well. <laughs> the toadstools. Yeah, and that that is a problem. So if you can cut back on the watering, uh, that's obviously going to help. And uh, use that uh, mancozeb as a drench. Okay. Okay. Good on you. Thanks, for that Ken. Have a nice Thanks, afternoon, mate. Okay. Have a good day. Okay, bye. Bye. We've got a question from Jeff from Charlestown. He's on the road at the moment. 
but he just wants to know the latest time you can cut back a Japanese hedge box. Or box hedge. Yes, this has been great today, hasn't it? We've got callers from all, all corners of the... Exactly. Sending us messages. Yeah. It's been a great day to be alive. Ringing as they, <laughs> ringing as they drive. So, Jeff, um, look, you can cut your uh, Japanese box hedge, um, you know, back whenever you want to. Uh, the trouble with doing it in the middle of winter, of course, is it's just not going to grow for you. Uh, with, when you're trying to grow a hedge, the best thing to do is not let it sort of get up tall and lanky and then cut it back but to sort of nibble away at it, make little cuts more often so that you get a really nice full plant moving upwards rather than just like a stick go up there and a stick go up there and it just doesn't work. Yep. It, it sort of it sounds counterproductive when you, you, know, you want to prune more often, but it actually does eventually create a much fuller and thicker plant uh, right. turning into a hedge. So just little, little haircuts then? Yeah, little haircuts, little nibbles over the top of the plant, <laughs> little nibbles. So uh, look, Jeff... Uh, if you want to, uh, you can cut back now. Uh, you might get some growth uh, before winter, a very small amount. Uh, but certainly, you know, the longer you wait, uh, the less growth you're going to get until we get through to August, middle of August again, when everything springs back into life. Right. So just cut back now is the best time. Yes. Uh, you wouldn't want to wait too much longer. Okay. We've got Joe now from Mayfield. And she needs some advice regarding where to begin with planting a large garden area in the front of her house. <laughs> Joe, this is a big question. <laughs> It is um, because I have nowhere to. I have no idea where to start. Um, we've got a front yard which we are um, fencing off, and um, at the moment it's pretty bare and barren with just one rose bush and some horrible trees. We're keeping there for privacy. Yes, but um, we're just not sure whether to go. Like, would we go to a landscape gardener and get them to help us plan what we want, or would we start with a nursery and take? sort of a plan and our ideas and we're just not sure where to start. Look, I'd probably in the first instance start with your ideas and plans. Uh, Look, there's plenty of great magazines out there now that you can have a look at. There's also the interweb apparently. You can look at uh, different gardens on there Uh, and so get some ideas of, you know, what you think you're going to like, uh, what's going to suit your house and uh, start from there and then go off and see a professional. Yeah, look, certainly go to a, a nursery, uh, one of your local garden centres, uh, because the staff there, you know, they're very, very experienced. Uh, they're also, you know, they'll be able to help you out doing a, you know, basic landscape plan as well. Uh, oh, right. You know, it might, look, might not look fantastic, uh, but they'll be able to talk about, uh, you know, what plants will grow where and make some suggestions, you know, if you want some privacy screening, for instance. Look, the other okay. thing to do when you're gathering that sort of information together to take in uh, is to think about, uh, you know, how tall you want plants to grow. Uh, you know, do you want fragrant plants? Uh, uh, you know, how much sunlight do, uh, you know, does the front of the house get? Uh, mm-hmm. And just sort of time, you know, those sort of things as you're looking around, uh, have a look right. today, say, oh, it's getting sunlight until two o'clock in the afternoon, because they're the sort of questions, uh, you know, your, your garden uh, centre uh, an expert will try and ask about uh, so they can try and help you out, uh, you know, formulating a plan. And so, look, they, they might be able to, uh, you know, just scratch out a rough plan on some paper for you, something for you to work with, doesn't have to be fancy. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want to go, you know, for something a little bit, uh, you know, better, you know, with paths and, uh, you know, water features, that sort of thing, lighting, uh, it might be better to go to a landscape designer of some type. But look, right. in the first instance, I would try and get your ideas together because, you know, pe- mm-hmm. people like to know, you know, what you like. Uh, it's no good, mm-hmm. you know, someone coming in designing a garden that, you know, you have absolutely no affinity with uh, whatsoever. So, yeah, have a look around, try and find some other gardens around the area. 
take the, take photos of them uh, and say, right. hey, look, we really like this, we really like that. Uh, take some photos of your house as well, some rough measurements. Right. Uh, that's also right. always important, some rough measurements. Yep. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, head off to a, you know, your local garden centre, see if they can help you in the first instance. That's perfect. That's great advice. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate that. Okay, not a problem, Joe. You have a nice afternoon. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Jeez, thanks, Joe. It's Guarding Talkback on 2 and FM. It's Scott Sharp. We're nearly out of time for another week. It goes so quickly. It flies by this it hour. Does, it does, it does. We've got calls today. We've got messages, yeah. emails. We've got someone driving. We answer, Hopefully we answered their question and he uh, was able to hear it. Mm, hopefully you heard it. Yeah. But before you do, Scott, anything else? Uh, yeah, look, I was going to talk about this weird... Oh, and actually, let's not talk about that. Let's finish go off. Go back to the vineyards. Let's go back to Santorini again. Let's go back to Santorini. What about cultivation, weren't we, up to? Yes, we're up to cultivation. So there's about 1,400 hectares up there. So it's, there's quite a lot of you know grapes still being grown on Santorini. There were quite a lot more uh, back in the 60s, but tourism sort of taken over that right. a little bit. Now, the way they grow them, uh, not like we have here with our trellises, they start with the vine and they start to curl it around and around in a circle. Right. So it forms a type of basket okay. on the ground. Right. Yes. Now, remember, they've got this uh, natural protection against the, the fungal diseases, so they can go, grow them on the ground there. Yep. And these vines, over years and years, can get many, many metres, you know, being twirled around and yep. around and around. So what eventually happens after about 75 years, they reckon... They get big baskets. They get big <laughs> baskets, but there's also a number of metres between the root system and the end of the grape vine yep. that needs the nutrient because the grapes only grow on the new new vines. That's why they prune them back here in Australia. Yep. Uh, so every 75 years or so, they cut them back right back down to the ground and after about two or three years, they start to get a crop back off them again. But it just looks really unusual. It's almost like a little bird's nest yeah, it does. on the ground, like a wicker basket of, of grape just growing there. So they keep the baskets? I, I suppose they could. They could do that and sell them off, couldn't they? they could. Some, yeah, in some sort of ornament. Limited edition. But they reckon they've been there for, you know, four to 500 years growing grapes like that way. Excellent. Very yeah. interesting. Yeah. So some of these grapes have only been cut, you know, you know four or five times. Marvellous. Yeah, Scott really Sharp. Interesting. I'm going to have to wrap you up there because we could talk about this all afternoon. <laughs> well, I'll try and get some more information yes. for next week. <laughs> but we had out of time for another week. Scott Sharp, thank you very much. We'll catch you next Monday from midday. Okay, see you then. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.